Hi everyone and thanks for joining us today. Welcome to our second module in the Physiology and Sports Nutrition webinar series. Today we're taking a closer look at the topic of strength. So I'm joined today by two fantastic presenters. Uh, I have Today we have advanced sports dietitian and accredited practicing dietitian, Dr. Zoya Pushcha and strength and conditioning coach, Mark Henry here to talk us through today's topic. Zoya is a postdoctoral researcher at Deakin University where she is currently researching the effects of supplementation on muscle growth. She completed her doctorate in sports at Monash University where her research focused on resistance training and a high protein milk beverage to mitigate the effects of sarcopenia in older active adults. She's also an accredited dietitian and an advanced sports dietitian and currently works in private practice where she mainly consults with strength athletes. Mark Henry is a strength and conditioning coach at the North Queensland Cowboys. He's got a really unique background as a professional rugby league athlete in both the NRL and the English Super League. And he has completed undergraduate studies in both nutrition and sports science. And he holds postgraduate qualifications in sports nutrition and a master's qualification in strength and conditioning. So really looking forward to today's presentation. Um, please remember this will be recorded and will be available immediately after today's session on Moodle and you can log 10 CPD points. I'll ask you if you have any questions during the presentation, we hope to have some time for question and answers at the end. Please log them in the chat section and I will ask them at the end. If we do run out of time, we can still forward those questions on and get an answer from you from Zoya or Mark. So thanks for attending today, really looking forward to it. And I'll pass over to Zoya. Great, thank you, Beth. I'm just gonna share my screen. Oh. Oops, sorry, had it all perfect and now, there we go, okay. Minimize that. All right, so what I'm running through today, um, I'm going more so through the background and the current literature around nutrition strategies for strength sport athletes. I'm gonna talk about the primary goals and training cycles briefly so we can understand the background for context. I'm then gonna talk about energy requirements to maximize skeletal muscle hypertrophy, uh, go through macronutrient requirements for strength athletes with a focus on protein and briefly, chat about the health and wellness considerations for sport um, strength sport athletes so when we think about strength sports we can there's kind of two categories so we've got predominantly primary strength sports where they um, train strength sports and then they actually compete in those categories and then you also have sports that require that explosive power and do utilize quite um, a big component of resistance training and power training within their program. Now um, on the left here we've got our predominantly our uh, strength training sports so we've got Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, strongman and bodybuilding. Um, some things to keep in mind with these sports so particularly these three categories they tend to have weight categories um, and they all vary depending on the federation that you work with um, and what competition. So they even like particularly in strongman that in the weight categories actually change per competition. So being aware of what, what weight category they actually need to be in. Um, and the sports on the, the left, as much as we like to think that all of our athletes are clean and drug free, um, unfortunately, uh, 
performance enhancing drugs are really, really rampant in these weight category sports, obviously in the non-tested federations. So understanding if your athlete is tested or not tested and, you know, building that trust so that they can tell you whether or not they are taking performance enhancing drugs as well um, is important. And I'll go through that in the health considerations. So the three main things that I consider that are the primary goals for sports um, strength sport athletes is first to fuel for sport specific um, and strength training. So whether or not that is for training or for upcoming competition um, and adapting that uh, nutrition for the particular training sessions that they're doing. The second is recovery from training, which is pretty self-explanatory. Um, you know, what understanding what other um, nutritional uh, considerations that we need to implement for recovery. And the last and probably the most common and possibly the most uh, the biggest reason why clients will come to you is that promotion of training adaptations, in particular that hypertrophy, body recomposition or strength training as well. So I was going to briefly talk about periodization um, because the majority of the athletes that we saw at the start do follow some sort of periodization program and it will vary. It'll, change depending on the athlete and the sport um, but this is just one example of what it might look like the image on the right is of an olympic weightlifter and generally their periodization is broken up into four different phases so the first being the general preparation phase and this can often be you know a lot of hypertrophy training so they're trying to build muscle so these athletes might be trying to uh, increase their weight to, uh, to go up a weight category um, they also might be recovering from injury uh, or they might be doing the opposite. They might be trying to lose body weight, lose weight to go down a weight category. Um, the second is being specific preparation or pre-season. So with your strength athletes, that's often building up. So going from hypertrophy training into strength power training. Um, so the um, reps will drop. So they're building a lot more strength. Um, and the intensity goes up as well. So we want to think about nutrition for recovering and promoting that. It might also be weight management um, as they're building up, lead up to a comp, um, they need to get under that weight category um, to be more competitive. Um, the third is competition. So this is peaking. Um, this gets a lot heavier, um, real big emphasis on recovery nutrition and potentially doing acute weight loss strategies in this phase as well. Um, I know you're doing a lecture I think next month with um, Gary Slater, which he's going to go through all of that. And the last is transition. So active rest, injury ma management and nutrition to support weight maintenance. So if they've gone through an acute weight loss phase, um, often you'll get athletes, if it's too strict or too much, they might try, their weight will blow out. And that becomes a problem, especially if you can see the different competitions that are quite back to back, which is really common in the weightlifting power strength sport world um, so really making sure that they are maintaining their weight um, after competition is an important consideration the biggest thing is yeah you want to match the the nutrition plan to what they're actually doing within their periodization um, and understanding working with the coaches that are providing these plans um, you know what do they want to achieve i just put these here just to go over just in case we're, we're not aware of these i guess um, different training blocks and then RPE. So in strength sports, um, you have different um, 
repetitions that indicate different um, either strength, power, hypertrophy, or muscular endurance. So understanding, you know, where they are um, in that periodization and what that actually means. So becoming familiar with that is really important. Um, and, and I put the RPE scale, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, but this is um, a really good one because a lot of strength athletes, um, their coaches will put in RPE um, for that particular lift. So it's a really good feedback that you can use as dietitians to whether or not your uh, nutrition intervention um, is enough if they're adequately fueled because often the, for example, the coaches will put in, this needs to be an RPE of seven to eight. Um, and if they're a well-trained athlete, it's pretty easy for them to adjust to, to lift to that. Um, but if they're feeling under they're not getting enough sleep, that might feel like a 10. So that acts as a really good feedback for you um, for your nutrition intervention. So don't, um, I guess, ignore that aspect of it, especially if they've got it in their training program. So what we're going to talk about is the nutritional considerations for strength athletes. And I'm sure you've seen this before, Louise Burke's little cupcake, um, that with athletes, we want to make sure we have that high, hierarchy of, of nutrition needs. So we're going to first start with um, the energy needs for strength athletes. And the main focus here is going to be energy requirements to maximize muscle hypertrophy or, or muscle building. So generally when we... Um, need to be um, gaining muscle and muscle hypertrophy. We need to eat more than we're burning or be in a hypercaloric diet. The common textbook recommendations, so all the, rec all the sports dietitian recommendations will suggest um, 500 to 1,000 calories extra per day to gain 0.5 to 1 kilo per week. Um, and that's purely because the higher needs um with protein turnover to build muscle building muscle costs energy um, so there's a um, point here the energy cost of protein turnover accounts for 20 percent of resting energy needs so in other words building muscle does require energy some considerations though are training history age gender uh, genetics performance enhancing drugs um, when you are considering the energy requirements um, and unfortunately, there's very limited studies in strength athletes, but those are coming, that's changing. So there's a few more now. So I'm going to um, draw your attention to these two studies, um, which really challenges the textbook recommendations as to do we need 500 plus calories per day? So this study was done in elite athletes. And what they did was um, they randomized elite athletes that weren't strength athletes though, to either receive nutritional counseling or they just ate ad libitum. So just ate normally, um, but were trying to gain weight. On average, the nutrition counseling group had 500 calories extra per day. Um, whereas the ad libitum group had around 130 calories per day. And this was over 12 weeks. So what they found was in the nutrition counseling group, the body weight increased um, more than the ad libitum group, which is to be expected. Right. Um, in terms of lean body mass, there was a significant change from baseline, but not between groups. Um, so there was a 2.8% increase in the um, nutrition counseling group versus 1.9% in the ad libitum group. But then if we look at fat mass, it was a real significant change. So the, um, the ones that had the higher amount, the nutritional counseling group, 
um, increased fat mass of 15% versus 3%. So real significant difference in the fat mass group uh, in fat mass compared to lean muscle mass um, with the, those calorie differences. Um, another study that was done in elite bodybuilders, um, I randomized them to either high energy intakes, um, so 4,000 calories versus 2,500 calories. Um, and they consumed that for four weeks. Now, there was a significant difference um, with a higher intake of um, one kilogram versus 0.4 kilogram of muscle mass in the higher energy group versus the lower energy group. But again, as we saw in the last slide, there was a higher proportion of fat mass um, in the higher energy group versus the, the um, lower energy group. So what this is really saying that with athletes that do need to maintain leaner physiques, especially in body, bodybuilding, a more conservative approach is more likely to be a better approach. Um, and even athletes, when you're looking at weight category sports, going the lower end to a minimize fat gain um, would be beneficial as well. So challenging the, the new recommend or the, the textbook recommendations for untrained novice athletes, you could probably go the 500 to 1000 because of that training adaptation and newer to the sport, they can gain muscle a lot, a lot more, but your more trained, more advanced athletes going for that more conservative and so 120 to maybe 500 um, on the lower end, rather than um, the higher end to minimize that fat mass. So in terms of um, adapting or um, your nutrition plan. This is a really good paper by Gary Slater um, and co that I suggest you read, but essentially it, it looks at, you know, what are the, how much energy surplus do we need and what are the contributing factors for that? So a few things when you're adapting your nutrition plan for athletes, it's much easier to go on that lower end of 120 calories um, versus five to a thousand because you can manage satiety a lot easier um, as well. And then we have elevations in um, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Um, so as you increase your, your calories as a compensatory, sorry, elevation in NEAT, and this varies from individuals. So there's studies out there to show that those that are hard gainers often will increase their NEAT a lot higher than those that have easily gain muscle mass. So that's another consideration. And then also the thermic effect of food also increases. So tracking muscle hypertrophy and strength athletes. So weight tracking and performance is what I do with my strength athletes, especially in the weight category sports, um, because they need to maintain their, the most important thing is that they are at their weight um, as opposed to body composition. Um, obviously we want ideal body composition, but we can also um, indicate that through performance as well. Other ways you can do it is DEX and BIA. That's just purely, you know, for the interest of the, the athlete and also to see the proportions of skeletal muscle mass versus fat mass. You can also do measurements um, and skin folds, which may be dependent on the sport. So let's talk about macronutrients for strength athletes. And we're going to start with protein, which is very, um, the most important one, it seems, uh, with strength athletes because um, they're smashing their protein constantly. So in terms of protein, we know that to build muscle, muscle protein synthesis or muscle building needs to 
um, exceed muscle protein breakdown. And in terms of the nutritional hierarchy, we want to always consider total protein intake first. Protein distribution and quality can, can kind of intermix depending on, or sorry, alternate depending on whether they're vegetarian or the situation. Um, and the last one being leucine supplementation. So in terms of uh, protein daily intake requirements, this obviously depend, uh, varies depending on the goal of the athlete, uh, the age, training levels and dietary needs, which we'll go through. Um, but the general recommendations is 1.6 to 2.2 grams uh, per kilogram per day. Higher amounts of 2.2 grams in those that have sufficient energy has no further benefit and any excess is just oxidized. Um, these are good studies to have a look at, especially Morton et al. Um, is a um, pretty safe staple of the study of protein intake, which I suggest you read. So um, one situation where high protein intakes might be beneficial is um, when you're in an energy deficit. So this study was done um, in young trained um, athletes, so young strength trained athletes, and they had either a control group, which was one gram per day of protein, or high protein intake, so 2.2 grams per day. They're on a deficit for two weeks. Um, their, their protein intake was high, but not the distribution wasn't perfect, and they still continued regular resistance training. Now, if we have a look at fat mass, um, there was no difference in fat mass loss throughout the intervention, but with lean bo uh, body mass, the control group um, here in black, significantly uh, decreased their lean body mass compared to the higher protein group. The high protein group did lose some, but the protein, the higher protein intake is obviously protective of that, which we know, but it's just a study that really reiterates that. So in terms of the amount of protein per meal, um, these are two studies that have been done. Um, the majority of studies that we have on in protein intake are muscle protein synthesis studies in acute settings. Um, so in this particular study, they gave uh, participants graded protein intake, so 9, 10, 20, 30, 40, um, after they performed leg exercises, so leg extensions, leg curls. And they looked at the muscle protein synthesis rates um, after they performed those exercises. And what they found was the 20 gram of protein in both studies, um, there was no significant difference between 20 and 40 in those studies. There was a slight increase, um, but that was only 10% higher at the 40 grams. So really indicating that to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis is at 20 and there's no significant further increase after that. Um, this is a study that was, um, it's a review that collected all of these muscle protein synthesis studies um, and compared uh, younger and older ma uh, males, um, which will go through the, the older ones in a second. And essentially what they did was they plotted it, protein intake versus uh, muscle protein synthesis rate and looked at the breakpoint analysis. So the point in which it didn't increase any further. And what they found was it was at 0.24 grams per kilogram um, per dose. So relative protein intake with a standard deviation of two. Um, that was the average or that breakpoint analysis there. So this study was done um, in resistance trained men and they performed a whole body circuit. So they uh, exercise legs and upper body as well. 
um, and they received two doses of 20 grams and 40 grams. And what they actually found was muscle protein synthesis was 20% higher at 40 grams compared to the 20 grams. Um, and that was a significant difference as well. So um, this might indicate that whole body exercises might require higher intakes of protein than just the legs or just the upper body sessions. So this has really good real world applications uh, for strength athletes, which often do split programs of upper body days, lower body days. Um, so adjusting their protein requirements for that. And what they also found was the amount of lean muscle mass didn't impact the response to protein ingestion. So pretty much um, bigger guys don't need any more protein than smaller guys as well. So 40 grams seemed like the perfect amount for this situation. Then we're gonna talk about protein quality. So as you probably know, leucine is a branch chain amino acid and is really the key for the trigger of muscle protein synthesis. Um, a larger intake can or can compensate for lower protein intake. So this can be really um, good for your vegan or uh, vegetarian athletes that struggle to get um, the optimal dose, which is 2.3 grams to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Um, and with older athletes um, or older individuals, they do need higher amounts. So three to four grams per meal um, to overcome that anabolic resistance, which we'll go through in a bit. So in terms of protein sources, we have animal, plant versus animal. And this is a table that was taken from this study here. There's a few more um, different foods there, which this might be a really good resource for your clients to show them. Um, because what it indicates is um, if you go through plant-based proteins, I've just pulled out some here, and animal-based proteins, the percentage of leucine is relatively the same for the plant-based proteins and varies quite a bit for those animal-based proteins. The amount of protein that you get per uh, dose or per um, meal um, is about the same, but if you look at the volume here, so you need to eat significantly more of the plant-based proteins um, than the animal, with the exception of dairy milk, um, to get the same response for leucine. Um, so this just shows that, you know, our vegetarian and vegan athletes do need more volume of the plant-based protein sources to achieve what you can get in the animal-based proteins. So this study was done recent or last year actually it feels like recent but it was last year um, and it looked at vegan diets versus uh, plant, oh, sorry, vegan diets versus um, meat eaters and what they got was young individuals that were all new to weightlifting and they performed 12 weeks of resistance training. They had some um, dietary counseling as well um, and had match intakes of 1.6 grams per kilogram. And what they found was there was no significant difference between um, lean muscle mass, uh, muscle size or muscle strength in both the groups. So this indicates that yes, you can build muscle um, on a plant-based diet just as effectively as if you eat meat as well, if it's planned well. One thing to keep in mind though, is that these um, were novice lifters, so they are gonna increase their muscle already. So it'd be interesting to see how this differs for the more uh, experienced athletes. So in terms of protein timing, uh, we know that the anabolic window is a lot bigger than what we need. So I've heard it described instead of a window, it's actually a barn door. Um, and especially in um, novice athletes that can be elevated for 24 to 48 hours. And that window tends to shorten the more experienced you are. 
Um, so the general requirements for protein is um, for athletes to achieve for at least three to five protein rich meals per day to really maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. So um, the question is, do you need a protein shake? So there's real, um, there's not enough evidence to support that protein post-training um, is any more effective than any other time points. So that's where total, uh, total protein and calories are probably a bit more important. Um, but some practical perspective is that it's really easy con to consume. Um, it might be a really easy way for them to increase their protein intake and it might be part of their routine and structure. So with older athletes, so those that are 50 and over, um, they still show signs of um, reduced sensitivity to anabolic stimuli. So it's called anabolic resistance. Um, so to overcome this, they do require higher protein intakes. And that study that I mentioned before um, with the breakpoint analysis in older, athlete, older individuals found that breakpoint to be 0.4 grams per kilogram. Um, plus or minus two standard deviation. Um, and a previous, and, a, and this study here, you can see the graded protein intakes as well. So the high at 45 um, grams um, significantly increased my um, muscle protein synthesis compared to the other intakes as well. So with protein and sleep, um, we know that protein before bed can increase strength and muscle mass. Um, and especially when using your slow release proteins like your casein, um, so some uh, pro casein sources, as we know, is yogurt, milk, and cottage cheese. So this is really typical of what bodybuilders do already. Um, and we have proof of concept now, which is pretty exciting. So some things to keep in mind. Um, so most of these studies, as I said, muscle protein synthesis acute studies, mostly done in males, and there's very limited studies in females as well. They also use isolated protein. So your whey protein, isolate, casein, supplementation, et cetera. Um, and we don't eat like that all the time. Athletes do eat mixed meals. Um, so there is potentially that food matrix effect. If you haven't seen the study on the right, I highly suggest you have a read of it. Essentially what they did was they gave athletes either the same amount of protein um, using just egg whites um, or whole eggs. And they found that those that had the whole eggs, their muscle protein synthesis increased significantly more than just the egg whites. And the theory behind this is that there are other factors in the egg yolk in particular, um, that act as a food matrix effect that potentially enhance muscle protein synthesis. So in terms of summary of requirements for protein, um, so to consume protein at uh, regular intervals, so that three to five hours over the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, post-training, pre-sleep to get that amount of protein, eat 20 to 40 grams each meal or 0 0.24 to 0.4 grams per kilogram, um, choose the sorry the 20 to 40 grams per protein is based on a 70 kilo athlete I should say choose mainly animal proteins or compensate by eating larger plant-based proteins or leucine supplementation if that's uh, relevant and high protein um, if in a deficit vegan or vegetarian or old athletes so in terms of dietary fat requirements there's no specific fat in uh, requirements for athletes, um, but the American College of Sports Medicine do recommend 20 to 30% of total energy intake being from healthy fats. And that is higher than the general requirements of 15 to 20%. 
we do know that low fat diets can decrease testosterone levels in men. Um, so this is important, especially when you're looking at your bodybuilding population, when they do go in that real restrictive phase to lean out before comp. Um, so working out ways that we can maintain the testosterone levels and they can still achieve their results as well. So in terms of carbohydrate requirements for strength athletes, um, we know that uh, resistance training uh, does require short bursts of energy um, and you do need to have that maximal contraction, mus muscular contraction. So usually um, we, we think or textbook suggests it's the P, um, PCR system, energy system or phosphate creatine system. Um, but the majority of ATP during resistance training has been shown to actually come from glycolysis. So glycogen um, does decrease between 24 to 40% um, during a training session. Obviously that's training dependent, but it is something to keep in mind that yes, they do use their glycogen stores, not to the extent of an endurance athlete, um, but there is some there. And that's obviously determined by duration, intensity and volume. Um, and we know that carbohydrate intakes haven't been studied to the same extent as endurance athletes. So in terms of carbohydrate requirements for strength athletes, the general guidelines, um, I've put here three to five grams on low intensity skill days. Um, this could be really good for, um, you know, your athletes that do do those low intensity days, so maybe an upper body day um, or a accessory day. And then the general requirements are four to seven grams for strength athletes, which is a, quite a bit lower than your endurance athletes, which can be up to 10 grams per kilogram. Now I've taken um, just a summary of two studies um, that have been done in the last six months. So this one was done, I think in January this year. And it's a systematic literature review. It's quite um, comprehensive. So it suggests you have a read of it, but essentially they, uh, looked at uh, 49 studies and 39 out of 49 studies showed no, uh, no effects of carbohydrate intake on strength training performance. So they looked at pre-training carbohydrates. 10 of the studies <clears throat> found that carbohydrate, um, perform sorry, carbohydrates will improve strength performance in particular contexts, such as fasted training, high volumes so of greater than 10 reps or two training sessions. And as sports dietitians, I'm sure that all makes sense. We just haven't had the literature until recently to really support that in strength athletes. So I think that's really cool. So the main takeaways from this study, they found that um, athletes should consume a minimum of 15 grams of carbohydrates with 0.3 grams of protein um, per kilo. Um, within three hours of training um, and with higher intensity sessions. So with the higher volume or two workouts in the day, um, high intakes of up to 1.2 grams per kilogram per hour might be warranted. The second study that was also done, that was done two months ago, I believe. Um, similar concept, they just uh, did a systematic literature review and they did a meta-analysis as well. So a bit higher in terms of evidence. Um, and they looked at the ergogenic effects of carbohydrate for strength performance. And what they found was particular context, similar to the previous study, um, if the weight training session is greater than 45 minutes or greater than eight sets, um, greater uh, if it was after a fast or so after bed, really good to have some carbohydrates in the morning if you're training in the morning. 
the higher volume, high intensity days, and particularly for lower body training, so those heavy deadlift squat days, um, there was a beneficial effect of having carbohydrates. So what they found uh, was the carbohydrate supplementation really varied between studies um, from 20 to 60 grams. <clears throat> and it doesn't seem that amount specifically, there was no correlation between the amount and the ergogenic effect. Now that could just be the lack of studies um, or just the variation of how much carbohydrates people got given. But what they concluded was that athletes, if they perceive to have adequate fueling from training and to starve off that sensation of hunger is more of importance than how much they're actually consuming. So that's a really interesting point. And um, I thought I'd just put that one in there. So based on what I do with athletes, so pre-training between 15 to 30 grams, at least an hour prior to exercise and as normal carbohydrate uh, for sports nutrition recommendations, low fiber, low fat and minimal protein. Um, so during training might not be practical um, depending on the athlete, depending on what they're doing. Um, so for example, in uh, strongmen training, they generally do one day where they just do event days event day training so that might take three to four hours of training so that's obviously a time where we might want to consider some carbohydrates um, in between those lifts um, during training um, we may mainly want to focus on that pre-training uh, carbohydrates they're not exercising for long enough like endurance athletes so having carbohydrates during is just not of importance um, and if exercise is greater than an hour or high intensity as we mentioned before we might need that over 60 grams per hour um, so this is a study that was done on low-carb diets and its effects on strength performance. So essentially, this study looked at powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters, and it was a six-month study. Um, the low-carb diets had 50 grams, less than 50 grams of carbohydrates, whereas the usual dietary, so the UD, had over 250 grams of carbohydrates per day. And there was no significant um, differences in energy intakes. So what they found in a low-carb um, diet group is that body mass um, decreased significantly and lean body mass also decreased, so 2.2 kilos over that six months. But there was no significant changes or um, in powerlifting performance at all. So potentially weight uh, low-carb diets could be beneficial for weight class athletes, um, but really individualized approach is important. So some practical guidelines for carbohydrate intake for strength athletes. So as I said, should be individualized and really catered to the fuel sessions and the training goal and the time periodization that they're in. Low carb diets may be beneficial um, when trying to cut weight or wait for competition. However, I prefer more of a periodized carbohydrate intake, which I know Mark's going to go through some examples um, before and after training. So really fueling that carbohydrates or fueling that training session beforehand and potentially doing low carb for the rest of the time to help improve um, body composition or to, I guess, control their energy intake. And this is my last slide. So some nutrition uh, health considerations for strength sport athletes are pretty similar to what you'll see in other athletes. So they still have red S, disordered eating, um, eating disorders as well especially when you're looking at more the aesthetic sports uh, it seems like the strength sport athletes so your powerlifters your weightlifters strong men tend to be a bit more protected than your bodybuilders uh, which makes sense because it's a bit more um, aesthetic 
but whether that sport attracts people that are more likely to be um, in that mind frame um, or that sport itself actually changes it um, is, I guess, debatable, but it is something to consider and, you know, it, it is still around in these athletes. Muscle dysmorphia is um, also quite rampant, um, especially in the males and other body image related issues as we get in all athletes, which is it's a higher um, prevalence in these athletes, in athletes in the general population. I just wanted to quickly mention that um, performance enhancing drugs. So as nutrition professionals, obviously we're not telling them what to take, but they often come to you. Um, so working with whoever they're actually pres getting prescribed, which unfortunately is normally not someone that's qualified um, and working out, you know, their reasoning behind it and using some motivational interviewing around that. And as health professionals, we're trying to um, uh, reduce harm minimization to give them nutrition support to, to reduce the effects that those drugs might have. So some effects, and they're all different depending on what they're taking, is altered biochemistry. So tend, their, their blood lipids tend to go up quite substantially. Um, cardio, that obviously increases um, cardiometabolic risk factors. They also have an increased diabetes risk, so measuring their blood glucose levels. Um, it also increases their injury risk. So often they get tendon injuries, so ripped biceps, had yeah, lots of ripped tendons so um, nutrition support can help there um, and yeah that's where we want to just do that harm minimization okay so that's it for me i'm going to pass you on to mark who's going to give you more of a um, case study example uh, thanks Zoya. that was an excellent review of all the literature and some really good information there and I'll be using a lot of that. So thanks very much. Um, I'm gonna look at it a bit more of an applied, um, look in a professional sporting environment, rugby league. Um, just having trouble here. Going to the next screen. There we go. Uh, just, for those that aren't uh, familiar with rugby league, I just wanted to put up uh, uh, an example of a collision um, in rugby league. Okay, so that brings back some uh, really bad memories of when I was playing, um, but hopefully gives you an indication of the sort of forces that go through these players. Um, so just going through some of the requirements for rugby league, it's an intermittent team sport um, of activities such as running, sprinting, change of direction, um, collisions and tackles. I've got collisions and tackles in there in red, um, I wanted to emphasise those because they really make um, rugby league not just a field sport, okay, and not just a contact sport, but rather um, there was a, a great coach, Wayne Bennett, rugby league's not a uh, contact sport, it's a collision sport, okay, and there's a big difference. Um, the demands vary based on the playing level. Um, the differences in body mass can range from 80 to 120 kilos. 
positional groups and the time on the field. Um, there's been studies done on the estimated en energy expenditures, but these were this was GPS based, so it didn't include collisions. Um, and I really want to emphasize that the collisions um, are a major factor in the metabolic demands. Okay, so it can be up to 23 to 52 a game. Um, the collisions are followed by, by the attacker attempting to advance the ball, so hitting the line, trying to drive further, and then the defender trying to grapple or wrestle them to the ground. There's then a contest to play the ball, um, which is about three seconds on average, and that increases the metabolic demand significantly. There's an um, aerobic versus anaerobic contribution, and it'll vary between individuals and, and positional groups. Um, there's significant anaerobic contribution for all players, um, which will increase the reliance on carbohydrate metabolism, particularly in those collisions. Um, and due to the variability of body composition requirements um, and energy demands, the nutrition interventions um, will be will vary depending on um, the individual. I thought this was a good uh, picture here um, from an article from Morahan and Close uh, of just the different sizes and shapes of different positions. And each uh, individual or position will also vary. So if you see, have a look at some of the body mass ranges there, um, pullbacks and wingers, you know, between 70 and, and 100 kilos. Um, I played fullback, center, um, and I am way too small these days um, by the looks of that because some of these guys are getting up to around 100 kilos um, in those positions. And then you've got um, prop forwards and back rowers, which are well in excess of 100 kilos, um, and everyone has to tackle each other. Um, so, yeah, the, there is a real size disadvantage at times. This is um, just some of the GPS stats um, from the NRL Premiership. Um, I just gave an example of two different positional groups. Um, so a fullback, which basically stands at the back, receives the ball, doesn't do as much tackling. You can see there that they're um, doing, you know, 8K in a game, okay, which really doesn't seem like much um, over 80 minutes. Uh, I know my mum could easily walk that. So uh, that these are not the metabolic demands um, that, that should be emphasised here. It's the metabolic demands come from the collisions. They come from the high-speed distance. So if you can, can see there, there's a difference there between a fullback and, and a middle forward. Um, the very high speed distance, the average speed's generally similar. Um, but the, the differences are the collisions. So I've got their runs um, versus tackles per game. So you can see fullback, 15 runs, seven tackles, not making many tackles. Um, but the middle forwards, you know, up, up to about 50 collisions a game. Um, I put some peak acceleration data in there. Probably doesn't mean much to you guys, but um, basically, the X cells and the D cells um, contribute a lot to the energy demands. Um, that's why I put that in there. And and the difference is the middle forwards generally won't play a full game. 
they'll be interchanged throughout the game, whereas fullbacks will play a whole game. Um, so when we look at optimizing the training, that's different questions. And do we want to um, increase the relative strength of the player or do we just want to increase mass? So do we want to get big and strong? Okay, or do we just want to get, get them strong and durable? Generally use upper body strength um, for collisions and injury prevention of the shoulder, which is a major injury site, um, lower, lower body strength more uh, for the collisions also, but, but things like X-cell, D-cell, change of direction um, and injury prevention. So that's going to affect how I prescribe in the gym in terms of sets, reps, exercises, et cetera. Um, obviously, we want more mass um, for collisions and momentum just based on physics. Uh, mass times velocity equal momentum. And But on the other side, running's a weight-restricted movement. Okay, more weight, more energy is required. Okay, less um, economy of movement. Okay, so we've got lots of things to think of. We need players to perform a high number of collisions with more mass, um, but we need to be well conditioned. Okay, so higher lean mass, lower fat mass um, for those repeat efforts. So we can look at three distinct body composition goals. We want to increase our mass and lean body mass. So um, as I spoke about before, we want our energy intake more than our expenditure. So we can improve our collisions, such as our meters post-contact. We've got goals that should for players that just want to maintain their mass, um, but increase their lean body mass, decrease their adipose tissue. So they're, they're looking to in, improve their relative strength and move better, produce more power on the field. Um, and then we've got goals, which um, some players just need to decrease their adipose tissue and body mass. They're not moving well, they're not performing um, enough efforts on the field. Um, so they need basically to, to get better, a better running economy, improve their relative strength. Um, so thanks to Beth, our club dietitian, um, and, and I will note that uh, the NRL have to have a sports dietitian assigned to each club. Beth's helped us come up with this. Um, it's a two-fold traffic light system. Um, so firstly, it indicates hard sessions need to be fueled in the green. Okay, so more starchy um, carbohydrates, uh, moderate trainings, a uh, little bit less starchy carbohydrates, a little bit more fibrous. And then in the red, um, we've got our sessions that are either rehab, recovery, or rest. Where, where uh, protein and fibrous vegetables are more the goal. Um, but I've also used this to bucket athletes. So using a very technical term there of shredders, okay, um, their main goal is to reduce adipose tissue, okay, and, and, and their mat body mass focus, okay. So they, they want to include more red meals in their um, nutrition plan. We still want to protect our training sessions. So our hard sessions, we're looking to um, use amber or more green meals. Um, and we want to promote good food quality and, and low-fat, high-fibrous vegetables. Uh, the pound-for-pounders, so the, the guys we're looking to maintain their body mass but improve their body composition relative strength, 
we're looking for them to just provide fuel for the work required. So alternate between red, yellow and green, depending on the training volume. And our hard gainers, okay, we're just looking to fuel at every opportunity. Um, we want to increase their mass and their lean body mass. We want a greater um, energy intake than expenditure. We want to generally stay in the green, have extra snacks and a quick supply of carbohydrate around their training times. And that also may involve some extra hypertrophy resistance training sessions. Um, similarly, the shredders will need to do a little bit more cardio work. Uh, so when we're looking to incorporate this into the training program, we need to look at how we periodize it. And Zoya touched on it earlier. Um, in rugby league, our pre-season generally goes between November and January. Um, our main goals, particularly in the gym, are strength and hypertrophy. But we've got to remember that there's aerobic adaptations taking place um, on the field in our conditioning sessions. Um, and also in our wrestling and contact sessions. So there's a bit of concurrent training going on and um, I'll show you a little bit later how we get around that. So we can we need to provide adequate total energy and it could range markedly 10 to 20,000 kilos, the kilojoules today, that, that can even be higher um, depending on requirements. Uh, so if we, our, our goal is more lean mass based. Okay, we're looking at carbohydrate carbohydrate intakes above seven grams per kilo uh, of carbohydrate per kilo body mass. Um, like I said, fuel it at every opportunity, um, tear and repair, it gets tossed around a little boat, so little um, micro tears in our muscle from the gym and then we repair them straight away um, without fueling. Um, greater volume of training in the gym, okay? The guys that we're looking to decrease adipose tissue or their body mass. Um, we're looking for them to have less carbohydrate, less calories in general. Um, so more fuel to work and support training. That, um, and this will alternate between whether it's a heavy session, so we're looking at moderate carbs or lighter days with low carbohydrate. Um, we want to make sure that those guys that are decreasing body mass, that they are eating and eating regularly. Um, sometimes the easy thing for them to think to do is just to not eat, but obviously this is not what we want. A protein requirements generally around the two grams per kilogram body mass. We want to drip feed that protein throughout the day. Uh, obviously this will vary on individual as well. We want to ensure optimal vitamin and mineral intake. Um, talking about those, particularly those fibrous vegetables, still getting them in. The immune system is um, highly compromised during the pre-season. Um, things like boils, ringworms, um, uh, sickness, illness. We, we really need to make sure that we keep an eye on this. Um, some of the challenges, as I said, were concurrent training. Uh, the heat up here can get up to 38 degrees, 75% plus humidity. So hydration, massive factor. And we need to also take that into account with our training. When we um, train, the times we train and how much rest in between. 
The other one that I'll just throw in there is the cultural backgrounds. Um, we have a large Polynesian contingent in rugby league um, and they all have different cultural backgrounds, different types of food um, that they, how they prepare foods different, their beliefs are different. So it, it, it's about some getting education there and, and working out um, what the individual is doing there. Um, so as I said, ensure food is available at training and educate um, is important. Um, other things, hydration, body mass, skin fold and DEXA monitoring, uh, things that, uh, how we monitor um, and they're all opportunities to chat. I've got there basically any opportunities you can get to chat to these players, find out, um, you know, what their, what their nutrition is like. Um, to try and give them a hand. Just give an example here of the amount of volume um, in the pre-season that we have to get through strength and hypertrophy-wise. Um, we're trying to get, obviously, both lower and upper strength and power um, and hypertrophy. So there's many different things that we're trying to, to improve. We've got to fit it into the training program as well. Um, as you can see there, the first day, when they're nice and fresh from the weekend, um, trying to get a little bit of power in there and some lower body strength. Um, our Tuesdays, um, as I'll show in the, the next few slides, is quite a big day, so generally upper body. Um, and then the Thursday and Friday are probably our bigger days in the preseason. In, in terms of strength and hypertrophy. Thought I'd give it a bit of an example of our schedule and how nutrition fits in. Um, this example is based on someone just wanting to maintain their body mass and improve their body composition. So, as I said, on a, on a Monday, we've got a heavy training. I've got the, how, the intensity of, and volume of training just down the bottom there. Um, get up. Obviously, we're trying to promote a, a big breakfast, um, which but it can be hard because it's usually quite early. Um, so I've got it in green, but it's probably more red amber in reality. Um, I've got their speed con games. It's a big session that one. Um, it's quite high intensity. Um, so we want to have a good post training meal, staying in the green as I've put there, um, and then we've got a bit of time. We want to allow, you know, at least three three to four hours before we do our strength session. Um, I think I've, I've seen a, a few studies around sort of six hours is best, but sometimes it's not practical, okay? We'll try and get it as far away from the session as we can. Um, we want them coming in with good training intent. If we want strength gains, power gains, hypertrophy gains, we need them having good intent in the gym. So we've got to be well fueled. Um, that's what we try and try and promote here. Um, after training, obviously we want to want to fuel fuel again, um, get some protein, get some carbs back in. Uh, dinner back in the green, and then uh, a pre pre bed snack which I touched on earlier with the um, casein or your yogurt 
um, cottage cheese, something that's going to drip feed those amino acids slowly, bear them, um, help, help build muscle mass. On the Tuesday, okay, quite a big day. You've got a contact session um, and an upper body strength day. So we'll put those in there together. We Guys that want to increase their lean mass, we're trying to get some sort of in-between session snack in there, um, which can be tough when they're lifting weights and contact session, they're going through collisions. Um, after that, we've got a post-training meal and then we're preparing for skills and conditioning in the afternoon. So we want to make sure they're going and fueled, excuse me, into that. Um, and then after that, they're pretty cooked. So then we, we need to make sure they're getting some dinner um, and preparing for the next day. Our Wednesday is more of a recovery session, a recovery day, but it's important that they're still fueling and they're getting their protein dose in. Uh, a, a Thursday after recovery is another high intensity session in the morning with the speed and pong games. Um, lucky here we've got our own um, place to eat and chef. So there's a post-training meal provided. Um, I'm making sure that they're getting in as much carbohydrate and protein there as possible. Um, and then fueling back up with a pre-session snack and a, a big all body strength and contact session in the afternoon. Uh, as you can see with the con con concurrent training here, um, our big lower body sessions, I'm trying to get them in the afternoon when there's not a big running session the next morning. Um, so I don't want them so, uh, too sore going straight into the session. I want them to have a little bit of at least 24 hours recovery before they go into that next session, particularly if there's eccentric training, um, which can cause um, a little bit more DOMS um, than your, your standard lifting. Uh, Friday is a light skills and full body and strength power session. So there's not too much on that day. So that's the day where I like to get a little bit of power in there um, in the pre-season. Obviously, making sure they're well fueled, and then on again on the Saturday, they've got a um, hard contact conditioning session, and then they get a little bit of a rest over the weekend. Um, just trying to promote them to make sure they're refueled, rehydrated again uh, for the following week. What I've done is so, like I said, there I've looked at body mass uh, maintenance focus down the bottom. Um, energy intake of 15,000 kilojoules a day approximately. This is just a guide, obviously it depends per individual, um, which converts to those numbers there of macros. Um, and I've given it a bit of an example of average macros per meal. So that's for body mass maintenance focus. Um, if we look at a focus of decreasing our, our, body, uh, our body fat, okay, the calories are going to be a bit lower. The kilojoules is going to be a little bit lower. Um, we still want to make sure they're getting their protein in. Um, their carbs are going to be a little bit lower and their fat might be a little bit lower as well. 
Um, interesting point before about uh, the too low of a fat intake um, affecting testosterone levels. Definitely something to um, take into account going forward and just having a look at. But you can see there, there's more red and amber type meals. Um, so lower carbohydrate, more fibrous vegetables, less starchy vegetables. This is not ideal um, generally, but players who have had an off season and tend to put on adipose tissue easily, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do it tough. So we really try and promote education and getting some training done in the off season so they turn up in decent shape. Otherwise, um, they're looking at this sort of program, which is the least ideal. Um, and that's an example of our hard gainers where it's a mass gain focus. Okay, the, the energy intakes are, you know, in excess of 18,000 kilojoules today, seven plus grams of carbs per kilogram per day. Um, just basically fueling whenever they can because we're training that much. Um, generally, if I see someone not eating one of these players, I'm asking why. Okay, so we've gone from pre-season. Um, so we look at our periodization. Late pre-season nutrition goals in February, March are going to change a little. There's, there's a less total training load, less total aerobic work. So we can have a bit more of focus on our max strength and power, which is going to peak us nicely into our first round. Uh, we want to continue to work on our body composition, but we've got less focus there. Hopefully by then they're at their goal weight and body comp that we would have set them um, early in pre-season. Uh, as I said before, fuel to work. So support our training, our heavy days, lots of carbs, support training. Our lighter days, lower carbs, making sure we're getting our protein in. Drip feeding that, uh, those amino acids through, throughout the day. Our hydration, body mass and uh, skin fold and dexter monitoring. Okay, we, we, we're keeping an eye on to make sure everything's in check. Um, and then we're starting to look at educating and prepare game week and game, game day plans, which is going to change. So what to eat the night before games and on game day and have they got a plan or a strategy around it. Um, our in-season goals, okay, are, are going to change. And this goes from around sort of March to October, depending on how late you go in the finals. Um, Early in the week, it's about recovery from games. It's refueling. It's um, protein for muscle damage, which we get through just exercise, but also from the collisions that we're going through. Um, we're making sure we're hydrated and we're getting into a routine. Uh, there's less opportunity to resistance train. So there's probably 25 to 50% volume of what is in pre-season in the in-season. Um, so we need to optimise these sessions. So fuel for liftoff, uh, making sure we're fueled before we get, come into our training session. And as I said before, the tear and repair, making sure we're fueling after, giving our body the opportunity to, to hold onto the muscle mass that we've created in the pre-season um, and protect us for the weekend. Uh, fuel to work um, and then individual body composition goals will, will dictate how much we're, we're taking in. 
Our game day um, nutrition may change depending on what routine suppliers have. There's a carb and fluid focus. Um, if traveling, we need to look at how we organize our meals, snack plans, refuel post-game and optimize our recovery. Uh, this is an example in season of our schedule, okay? There is more rest periods, okay? There's not as many sessions. We might have two uh, strength training sessions during the week, if we're lucky, depending on turnarounds. Um, there'll be recovery focused days um, and there'll be lighter training days day before the game. And then our game day is our biggest day of the week. Um, players undergoing the most stress, and then, then we go back into the cycle of recovery again. Down the bottom here, I just gave an example of how we'll change in season. The kilojoules energy requirements will decrease because they're not doing as much work. Um, so it will obviously the, the different groups will change also. So it might be you know three to four thousand kilojoules difference um, between pre-season and and in season, maybe more. Um, I have a little chat about the how we periodize our supplements um, and how we, we put them in the program. Obviously, our first priority is to ensure the supplements align with the AS supplement framework um, and protect the players and the club. Uh, the main thing in pre-season is supporting our energy requirements, so building lean mass and strength. So we're looking at our sports drinks, electrolytes, slushies, uh, slushies for temperature control, uh, protein with varied carbohydrate blends, creatine, collagen, and caffeine, um, such as pre-workout. This is an example pre-season day. Um, I've put in there of what it might look like for someone in the lean mass gain group. So we're having our breakfast, we might require some collagen for tendon support and electrolytes if required. Um, we've got our training session, which will make sure they're hydrated. Um, try and get some sports drink into them during those sessions and some electrolytes, particularly up here in the heat. Their post-training meal, we, we're looking to get some more electrolytes or sports drink in to prepare them for the next session and uh, slushy as well. Um, is usually there to get that temperature down. Uh, uh, back to our pre-strength uh, snack, uh, maybe an optional protein bar. Um, I don't generally promote it, but if the player requires some caffeine through pre-workouts, um, then I'll look after them there. Uh, during the full body strength session, we will provide electrolyte sports drink again. Um, and then after, uh, making sure they're getting a shake um, with at least 100 grams of carbohydrate and some WPI protein. Um, otherwise, making sure they're having um, a meal that, that satisfies those requirements. Um, home for dinner and then either a pre-bed snack or the, the case and shake to make sure we, we're getting our protein before bed. In season, okay, the focus changes. It's about preparing for game day. It's optimizing performance for the gaming and recovering. 
Um, so things we need to consider when preparing for the game, are we looking for some buffering um, through beta alanine or bicarbonate, which we, we um, use? Uh, we need sports drinks for our training and slushies post-training. Other things to consider are some nutritional interventions for concussion and brain health. So some research around fish oils, omega-3s um, in those dosages. Um, and also promoting some, uh, making sure they're sleeping well and recovering well. So uh, the tart cherry juice there can assist with that. Spoke about joint and tendon support with collagen, uh, but also some circumin, turmeric, and fish oils. Okay, so in season, might look a little bit more, more like this with, with our supplements and where they can fit in. Um, you know, your, your fish oils and circumin in the morning. Um, obviously, a snack, getting your WPI. If you're loading on beta alanine, that needs to be consistent. So, having a routine there to get that in. Um, around our training, we're looking to get slushies and sports drink in. Um, and down the bottom, um, obviously, our case in there again. Going into the game, some guys, if I'm looking to bicarb, bicarbonate load, they split, prefer to split the dose so it's not as heavy um, on the digestive system. Um, so I might split it and go uh, a full load here and then a half half load on game day so it's a bit easier, easier there. Um, after the game, it's about getting their sleep right so that's where the, the casein tart cherry juice for sleep can be beneficial. Um, actual game day supplements I've, I've put in there because um, there, there is a real uh, requirement for supplements for a lot of players, not all of them. Some of them prefer none. Um, some prefer lots, but um, we need to make sure we, we can cater for that. And, and some, some players, it, it can really help them. So different, it's more of a performance base. Um, you're looking at your bicarbonate, which I mentioned, got our nitrates through our beetroot juice for the aerobic system, sports drinks, caffeine, carbohydrate gels, slushies, electrolyte ice blocks, pickle juice, um, and recovery after game day. And then, okay, we've got those supplements there. So it may look something like this. They're having their collagen in the morning, um, if they require a bicarb load, then around sort of three hours pre-game, um, we're looking at they're having their beetroot juice about two hours before the game. Um, we'll have a an alert about if they want caffeine or no dose or in pre-workout form about an hour before the game. Um, Post-warm-up, making sure there's electrolyte drinks, slushies and sports gels and sports drinks available. Um, when they come in for half time, we've got electrolyte, sports drinks if required, um, sports gels to get um, the glucose back up um, and electrolyte ice blocks or slushies to get that temperature down, particularly if they're playing up here in the heat. The other one is the pickle juice, which um, we've got there to help um, relieve cramps particularly 
towards the end of games for some players that are susceptible. Uh, after the game, we're trying to get them to, to obviously rehydrate back to their um, body weight. Um, and then we're looking to get some sort of protein. Got WPI there, but most players after the game prefer something like a chocolate milk, which um, I'm happy with. And then dinner, we're making sure we're that, that we um, supply them with um, an adequate meal there. And pre-bed snack, tart, some tart jerry juice, um, which some players have found very beneficial to help them to get to sleep, particularly after games where their adrenaline's quite high. They, they, they really struggle to get to sleep, um, so it's been a good initiative. Um, I've got some different technologies which we've used to measure intake, training load and energy expenditure, as well as body composition. Um, wouldn't really okay so skinfold is not necessarily technology but it's something we we use to monitor and track through our database um we we use smarter base there there's a first beat which is the heart rate which we monitor gps obviously um i've used my fitness power just basic um, application for some players just to track what they're eating and uh, dexa scans this is smarter base, so um, all our information goes into the API here. Um, it's great for, for tracking um, things like their body weight, in particular skin folds, which we do um, probably every three months, a um, little bit more for some guys, um, and then DEXA scan results there. Also, obviously, lots of other metrics. Um, that we monitor such as their strength, power, aerobic capacity. The next one is um, just an example of a screenshot of our smarter base system. Um, so we've got our body weight. We can set um, some different Z scores. If it fluctuates beyond a certain point, that can alert us. That's opportunities, as I've mentioned, to go and have a chat to The player, what's going on? We've got our USGs, um, which we use a bit of a randomized system of just targeting them um, randomly and, and seeing how their, their hydration status is. Um, on this slide, I've just got on the left just a My Fitness Pal um, screenshot, um, quite low in calories there. Uh, we'll find that most players will under-report, but it's a bit of a work in progress with them and it's a good starter to get them um, to, to use and start thinking about how much they're eating, um, what's in food, so it's a bit of an education process, um, and to just generally get them um, interacting and engaged in what they're putting into their body. Um, and I've, and I've not haven't got every player on it. I just use it sparingly for the ones I need to focus on, but it, it's been really good. Um, on the right here, uh, we've got just a, a bit of a, a indication of our energy expenditure. So this is one of the sessions that we've done during the preseason. As you can see, um, they go through quite a high intensity period through through this session here for a good half an hour. Um, this readout here gives us a good indication of not just their heart rate, but um, how many 
calories they're using, just an estimate there. And it's also broke down into um, carbs and fats. So it's just a um, good monitor, monitoring for us, but also it can be educational when you sit down with the player and go, this is how many car carbohydrate your carbohydrates you're using during the session. Um, and you need to refuel that. Um, just a nice little education piece there for them, just to, yeah, to make sure they're refueling. Um, also gives an indication of the intensity of the session um, as well. On this one, it's just a, uh, I've had this player since 2015, so I've got quite a fair bit of data um, from the DEXA scan. Um, in uh, black is their fat mass, in magenta is their fat-free mass. You can see the fluctuations that occur um, with a with a rugby league player during different parts of the season. So what I like to look at, where did they start? Where did they finish? So this player really struggled with adipose tissue. Um, and you can see over time, they've got more professional um, and better at, at their body composition there. The muscle mass is really um, fluctuated and this happens pretty much with most players. They'll they'll go through a period, usually on, in the off season where they'll drop a lot of lean mass um, and then they come back to us and they'll get it back up and their body fat goes down. Um, and then there'll be a slow decline of lean mass throughout the year. Um, and that can be many factors. The main one is that, that they can, struggle to get the amount of resistance training volume in during the season because they're recovering from games. Um, so that's a real my real challenge for, for the players in my role. Um, some players are better than others through either genetic or uh, just got better training ethic and nutritional um, education. They can maintain this better. Um, and I'll have players on different programs based on whether they're um, holding their lean mass, gaining lean mass, or, or losing their lean mass. When I compare, um, I like obviously to compare from um, the scan that just recently got to their last one. So I can tell us what's happening with their lean mass. Is it increasing or decreasing? What's, ha what, what's happening, happening with the adipose tissue? Is it increasing or decreasing? Most importantly, though, particularly after I've got some... Um, plenty of data on them, I like to compare from year to year. So start of the season, look at March 20. Where have they gone from March 20 to March 21? So here, they've dropped body fat. They're better prepared there in terms of body fat. Where, where have they changed in lean mass? They're better prepared there in terms of lean mass. So that's tick, pat on the back for me. We've done a good job. Um, and obviously, if it's the other way around, we need to look at what's what's going on and how, how we can improve that. This one's quite good. I like um, this information because it gives me an idea of how they change in terms of different limbs. Um, so it can it can give me some good programming considerations. If they're losing a lot of lean mass through their upper body or their arms, why is that happening? Is it an injury? Are they not training hard enough? Um, in the gym, um, what's happening with their nutrition is, is, is that a factor? 
Um, and then you can look at different symmetries of sides as well. So, um, yeah, really good information for us to have. And it's always good um, to go to the player with information and show them rather than just say, you need to eat less, you need to eat more, actually showing them some information to get buy-in in the nutrition side. Last one, last slide here, um, just backs up some, uh, what I've done in the previous slides about the different um, periodization um, things you need to consider. So this is um, a mid-thigh pull, amount of force you can produce on the force plates. Uh, this is mid-season, so pretty happy with that. The, the, this player's come back, not as strong, which usually expect. Um, Hopefully they've done a little bit more work in the preseason and it's up around here. Build it back up again, as we've spoke about. Get them to sort of just before the start of the season, um, nice and strong. Um, but then you see there's a decline then. Once this, once the um, season has started, um, I'm not getting as much strength sessions in with them. They're getting bashed on the weekend. They're going through a lot of collisions. Um, their force goes down and it's just about trying to hold on to that. Um, a, a lot of that will depend on the different turnarounds you get through the week, depending on um, how much strength training you can get into them. Um, thanks very much. Thanks for Sports Dietitian Australia giving me an opportunity to speak about my three loves, rugby league, nutrition and strength. Thanks very much um, to both Zoya. That was a fantastic literature review. And obviously, Mark, for giving us a great insight there into what happens on the ground. And I think if we look at both those components, we can see the research um, that sits behind some of those practical applications and gives us a really good idea of no matter what sport we're working with or what our athletes are doing, the questions we can be asking and, and perhaps some of the resources that exist in a team environment that can help drive nutritional strategies. So thank you both. I do appreciate we've gone over time, but we have had one question that's been asked a couple of times. Um, any other questions, I'll ask the individual presenters to answer. So I know, Sunita, you had a question and I'll put that to Mark to answer later. But Zoya, there's been a question from a few people about just some of your considerations uh, when it comes to um, recommendations for female athletes. I know you touched on it briefly that a lot of the literature is in males, but uh, even from a practical um, side of things, are you how are you adapting or what's existing out there directly targeted at females? Yeah, really good question. Um, and there's no right or wrong. So if we looked at the McCorton study, so where they did 20 grams versus 40 grams of protein, and then they tested whether or not lean muscle mass had any effect, and pretty much they concluded um, it doesn't matter how big you are, your requirements are like that it's still 40 grams. So that's that's one aspect that you could do. Um, but looking at that study. Um, the, the lower weight category was less than 65 kilograms of lean muscle mass, which is either, it's a very, like it's a larger female. Um, so going for that 40 grams um, or that relative protein intake for maybe the smaller females. So the 0.25 to 4.4 grams per kilogram. I know in our, um, the current study I'm doing at the moment, we're providing participants with the protein shake post-training and everyone's getting 40 grams regardless of body size, 
female gender or anything like that. So yeah, there's no direct answer. It depends. Um, for the larger females, probably 40 grams blanket is fine. But if, if you're looking at girls that are under 70 and less, a relative protein intake is probably more practical because that's a lot of protein for a smaller female. Thanks so much. Great answer. And um, hopefully that's answered the questions that have come from our members. If anyone does have any further questions, please feel free to send them through and we can contact either Mark or Zoya and get those answered for you. So thank you to our participants for joining today. Um, we appreciate we've gone over time, but we're very grateful for you staying on board. Remember that this recording will be available for you to watch at future times as well if there's some literature or some ideas that you want to catch up on at another time. Please remember to log your CDP points as well, 10 points for today's session, and we look forward to catching you next month for module number three, which is our team sport module. So thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time.